supporting WHYY Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? A father of modern astronomy, Galileo, was born 456 years ago today. Joining me on this episode of Sky Talk to pay tribute is Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute. Derek, tell the tale of what motivated this mathematician to achieve success that we are indeed citing on this day. The more we dig into Galileo's history, the more we find that he was uh, kind of like a regular guy in a way for the time in which he existed. Yes, as we look back, we certainly do see him in many ways as a genius, uh, but his iconoclastic reputation really overshadows his basic raison d'etre at the time, which was to make a buck, believe it or not. You know, at that time, in the late 1500s, Galileo was a struggling teacher who was really working in the gig economy of Renaissance Italy, if you will. What? Yes, he unfortunately wasn't born to a high place in society. He wasn't a politician. His parents weren't rich. And his father actually wanted his son, Galileo, to become a physician. I guess so Vincento could describe Galileo as my son, the doctor. Uh, Galileo actually wanted to be a mathematician, but his father implored him to go to medical school and become a physician. He thought that was a high office to attain at that particular time. It certainly had great income, but Galileo really was much more interested in mathematics. He actually ditched medical school eventually and became a university math instructor, where he began to investigate the physics of motion using mathematics to describe what he wanted people to understand about how the physics of motion worked. Including the motion of stars and planets? No, that was to come much later, as a matter of fact. And indeed, the work that he did early on in the physics of motion became a way in which we now view the study of science today, in which we design experiments looking for outcomes what we now call the scientific method, actually began with Galileo. So that's one of his many contributions. In terms of the telescope, for which we know him best and his observations of Jupiter particularly, a colleague actually informed him by what you would call snail mail at that time of this new optic device that his friend had seen. And after a bit of research, Galileo figured out how others were making these new optic devices, the telescope. They were around in Europe, although not very widely distributed or very good at the time. And using his math skills, Galileo made a better telescope. In fact, his telescope really could be considered uh, the killer app of the day. And again, of the day, describe the aperture and the lens of that telescope compared to even the simplest ones we use now. Well, my goodness, this telescope that he made at that time, if we saw something like it today, we would consider it crude and nearly unusable. The first lens that he made for a telescope uh, was about an inch in diameter, and the focus was not really great. The field of view visible through the telescope was rather small, and it only had a magnification of about eight power. What Galileo sought to do with this instrument was he used this new killer app of a telescope to get himself hired by the wealthiest and most influential patron around at that time, the Medici family. And the way he sold this instrument was for its commercial value in that it could be used to cite 
incoming ships very far off on the horizon as they were approaching port. And then someone, a very clever salesperson, could then set the price for goods coming as Galileo could see the ship coming from so far. Or one using the telescope could see the ship coming from so far away. What he really sought more than anything else was an appointment to the Medici family as their chief mathematician or their chief engineer or their chief scientist. And that's really the job he was going for because he was looking for a life appointment, actually. Now, we do know that he got into some trouble later for mixing the things together in a way that didn't quite work for that period of time. You know, the trouble he had with the Roman Catholic Church about whether or not the Bible could be changed around to really reflect what he could see, what could be seen in the sky at that time with this new device he created. Um, However, he still managed to uh, make his way through that really treacherous portion of his life, ending up late in his life under house arrest in a rather comfortable situation that allowed him to continue to think about the natural wonders of the world. But clearly the telescope that he came up with was his pinnacle achievement. No doubt about it. That was not only his pinnacle achievement, but it was the beginning of so much in astronomical observation. And in writing about what he did and publishing that work, he could then distribute this information all across Europe. Others could then jump in and continue to make improvements on the instrument uh, to the point where the telescope really became that tool that was really opening up the universe for others to investigate even after Galileo was gone. Say, what sort of telescope or device came to play to identify these FRBs, fast radio bursts, and we're not talking about anything on the FM dial? If you think about it in terms of radio, Astronomers who were able to discover these very interesting objects, FRBs, or fast radio bursts, they're using instruments that are picking up, if you will, a radio station on a portion of the radio dial where there was no station before. But if we look at that in terms of real radio instruments, astronomers using a radio telescope in Canada, working in a frequency region that hadn't been used before, were able to discover these really unusual objects bursts of energy in the radio spectrum. What makes them really exciting is that they seem to be coming from everywhere around the sky. They're low frequency, very, very high energy, and they're incredibly fast. So how fast are we talking? Just a millisecond. So these bursts seem to be the brightest bursts seen anywhere around the sky, including bigger than supernovae, But they last such an incredibly short period of time, astronomers are speculating what kind of phenomenon could possibly create that kind of energy release. Where is the most recently discovered burst coming from? Astronomers have been able to identify a source about 500 million light years away in a not-too-distant galaxy. And this particular one stands out because it seems to have a regular pattern of emission. It seems to be going on a pattern of 16 days four days of signal production, and 12 days off. And, having been observed over 400 days, this pattern seems to be holding up. With that degree of regularity, is there any notion that this might be coming from some sentient force? That's a very interesting question. FRBs have been observed since about 2007. And because of the strength of the signal and the fact that it's in the radio spectrum and coming from all around... Some people have speculated about the possibility that it could be some sort of communication signal. But often, patterns of this type seen coming from astronomical objects 
have something to do with some kind of rotation or some other kind of physical action about the object itself. So it's not really unusual that you can see bursts of energy on a regular pattern of some type. If we just look at rotating neutron stars, what we call pulsars, we know that those have regular patterns of energy release that go f- you know, from milliseconds apart to you know, slowing down to almost the point of stopping altogether. So as we continue to look around the universe, we've been able to identify lots of different patterns. The question about these happens to go toward the intensity of the energy burst, the fact that it's so short, and sort of questioning how this kind of power could be generated for release into the universe. So with that, we're ruling out the likely sources, be it a pulsar, neutron star? In fact, we don't know enough about this phenomenon yet to rule out anything. Uh, It seems less likely that this is from an alien source. There are so many other natural possibilities. Uh, We just have to see if we can create a model that allows something for this level of intensity at that short a period to corroborate what we're seeing. So with our remaining time, let's go with what we do know. Step out of doors, what's available to be seen in the night sky this week? Let's start tonight. If you catch Venus and Mercury tonight or tomorrow night between 6.15 and 6.20 p.m., you can add that to the three planets that are visible in the pre-dawn sky. Around 6 a.m., we can find Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. They're in a diagonal line from the upper right down to the lower left as we're looking out toward the eastern side of the sky. But if we start tomorrow morning, we'll find the moon is there to highlight where we can begin looking. So if you look for the moon and just come down on a diagonal line down from the moon down toward the lower left, you'll first catch Mars, then Jupiter, then Saturn, all in that nice diagonal line. But for the rest of the week, the moon actually marches along among those planets. So we'll stop at Mars on Tuesday, we'll stop by Jupiter on Wednesday, and then line up with Saturn on Thursday. If you wait until Friday, they'll all be done, the moon will be gone, the planets will still be there for comfortable viewing, but you will have missed the best part of it. Thanks, Derek. My pleasure, Dave. Derek Pitts, Chief Astronomer at the Franklin Institute. He joins us each week at this time on Sky Talk.